Podo. You're listening to Law and Disorder, a weekly podcast which aims to get to the heart of the big legal issues of the day. Hello, uh, welcome back to Law and Disorder. I'm Charlie Faulkner. Who have I got with me? Helena Kennedy. Nicholas Mostyn. Hello, we're going to talk today about the post office scandal. Everybody has read about the post office scandal, but we're going to focus on how did it happen? What could be done about it? And how are the guilty people, the real guilty people, going to be brought to justice? Just let me recall what happened. Sub postmasters to be found in practically every community. In 1999, the post office introduced a new computer system which kept the books for every single sub-post office. It was called Horizon, and it was designed and installed by Fujitsu. Every single sub-postmaster in the country, England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland, was required to use it. After it was installed, it began to notice shortfalls in sub-postmasters' accounts. The post office pursued these shortfalls with enormous vigour. They demanded that in every case that there was a shortfall, the sub-postmaster made it up from their own resources. If they didn't make it up from their own resources, they sued them. And if they couldn't afford to pay after a judgment had been entered against them, they were bankrupted in the courts. They thought many of the sub-postmasters who had shortfalls, had done it criminally, i.e. they'd stolen the money, and they prosecuted over 700 cases. They did it in-house. They didn't go to the Crown Prosecution Service. They did it themselves. 240 sub-postmasters went to prison. In all the legal proceedings, every single time, they produced somebody to say the horizon system never goes wrong and is always accurate. And that was the core of the prosecution material or the bankruptcy material or the means by which they got the shortfalls out of it. They did this for 15 years, 2000 to 2015. It's an absolute scandal because we now know the truth is that Horizon system was very, very faulty. And what's more, people in Fujitsu And people in the post office knew that, and they knew it all along. In order to get the convictions, they gave perjured evidence. In order to continue to get the convictions, at some level in the post office, they agreed that they would continue with this. How did it all come out? In 2016, some postmasters got together and began an action, a civil action, not a criminal action, And in 2019, it finally got to court, and Mr. Justice Fraser concluded, first, that the Horizon system was very unreliable, which explained very many of the shortfalls. Secondly, the post office had deliberately kept from the defendants and the respondents in civil proceedings the truth about the problems with Horizon. And thirdly, that the post office had behaved atrociously in the course of the civil proceedings. These judgments by Mr. Justice Fraser were given in 2019. The government then set up an ad hoc inquiry, chaired by High Court Judge Mr. Justice Wynne Williams. He became very perturbed by the fact that the post office weren't making proper disclosure of documents to the inquiry. 
And he asked the government to make it a public inquiry in 2021. A public statutory inquiry means that you can compel people to give information. Even after they had got that power, he was still incredibly unhappy about the post office not giving proper disclosure of documents. And it's only if you see the documents that you can see what happened. Despite all of that, there was no real momentum in favour of the victims. In 2021, two years after the Mr Justice Fraser judgment, the Court of Criminal Appeal gave exoneration to some of the defendants who'd been wrongly convicted, but there remain literally hundreds who are still convicted on the books. Many, many are bankrupted and very, very few have got proper compensation. After Mr. Justice Fraser's judgment, which held absolutely massively against the post office. The post office settled. They settled for £51 million with 500 postmasters. After their legal costs had been paid, they got £12 million to share between 500 for lives ruined and families wrecked. My goodness me, the legal system has completely failed at almost every level, the sub-postmasters. In the Christmas of 2023, a television programme was shown by ITV, which completely changed the situation. Everybody, politicians included, wanted proper satisfaction for the postmasters. And the Prime Minister, within days, announced that there would be an exoneration bill for all of the postmasters who'd been wrongly convicted and had gone through this absolute hell. The legal system massively failed. It's only journalism and Private Eye and Computer Weekly had been on this for a long, long time. Even they didn't succeed. It's ITV and a television program that did it. What is wrong with the legal system? Helena, first of all, how on earth do these prosecutions get off the ground? And why did the defendants never discover the truth? This case is such an indictment of our legal system. And that little bit of information that you've just given us about eventually an award to the 500 in the Bates case, the £50 million that was awarded. Just over the Diet Coke. The only, yeah. You can have a Diet Coke. Only £12 million went to the actual sub-postmasters and the rest of it went into the hands of lawyers. So the, 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 well, funders, the, actually. Was, well, and funders, of course, and, and we know how that worked. But one of the things about all of this, for me, is that it's an indictment of the lawyering, it's an indictment of the system and the failures to prevent this kind of thing. But also there were two things that I think were at, at base of this. Institutions and corporations and so on are very inclined to protect their own reputation at the expense of the human beings who are, who are implicated in things. We saw that with sexual allegations against the church and the BBC and, and all kinds of things. People try to protect their reputation. And throughout this case, there was a continuing thing about protecting the brand. The post office, it was created um, hundreds of years ago. The country's most trusted man. <clears throat> Absolutely. Mm. This business. Mrs. Venel's this, yeah, this business about everything being a brand mm. and we have to protect the brand. And that was the priority over human lives. And I think it is a sign of our times. I think it is about valuing money over folk. Mm. And, uh, and this mass miscarriage of justice, mass mis miscarriage of justice, and this individual stories are so painful to hear, I think points to two things. First of all, the madness that there is a legal rule that says that computers must be right. <laughs> There's a presumption in law, admittedly a rebuttable presumption, but there is a presumption in law that 
computer records must be presumed to be accurate. That that is a is that the Civil Evidence Act? You're no, to it. it was introduced after the Law Commission brought out a report in 1999. Labour was in government and introduced it into law. I mean, I think any government would have introduced it. The Law Commission has a great impact on legislation and uh, how governments legislate on these kind of things. But that was what was decided. Now, it goes back in time. You know, if a policeman looked at his watch and it's now midday, one assumed that it was right unless you could prove that his watch regularly stopped. So that was a practice but they put it into law in 1999. It's statutory and it says that computer records must be presumed to be accurate unless shown to be otherwise. So then becomes, you would have thought, the obligation that if people are saying, look, I'm behaving properly, something must be wrong with the computer, that they should be obliged to disclose everything. Of course. And they refute, they absolutely were deeply improper in the very way in which they went after people, I think, ruthlessly and failed to disclose. And the disclosure is really important because there is an obligation in law. They, they destroyed documents. And they destroyed documents. But, 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 I understand the prosecutions were brought by the post office. They, they were, were private, private, prosecutions, private prosecutions. But they were independent members of the bar. And the defence, in practically every case where there wasn't a guilty plea, because they would frequently, effectively coerce people into, say, well, we'll take a plea on false accounting, which they thought was a less serious charge and than theft. theft. Yeah. And they were really intimidating and nobody ever gets oh, but the Charlie, computer. Charlie, the lawyers who were prosecuting those cases were junior lawyers, junior barristers, junior people who were being told by those who were instructing them, we are telling you now that the computer system is absolutely sound. And we have a witness. And there is a presumption in law that computer systems are sound. And we have, you know... Mr. Jenkins. Yes, Mr. Jenkins, and so on. And they were being given this information authoritatively by the post office, that great brand. And so they proceeded to, to prosecute people. And I'm sure the defence lawyers often, and we heard it from the sub-postmasters, would be saying to them, listen, you know, you're on a hiding to nothing. It's better for you to take the... Yeah, they're offering you... They're offering yes. you plea to lessen theft and having a theft conviction is not good for if you want jobs. And there's a very good letter written to Private Eye by Mr Phil Saunders who said, why was this question never asked when these prosecutions was taking place? Did nobody notice that pre-Horizon no postmasters were fiddling and afterwards there were hundreds? But that was the point. That was yeah. the point as far as the post office were concerned. They were saying, oh, this marvellous system now reveals the extent <laughs> of the fiddling. Dishonesty. Yes, exactly. I mean, that, that's the thing was, they thought, wow, think of how great our profits would have been if we had yeah. known about just how dishonest all these people up and down the land are. Yeah. They've all been fiddling their money. And it was that assumption of dishonesty and that assumption that they were right and protecting the brand and also having that little piece of law which said that you're to rely on computers unless you can prove otherwise and they were saying to everybody the computer system is absolutely but I mean, you, sound what you're, it's very depressing what you're saying because mm-hmm. even assume it hadn't been a post office private prosecution mm-hmm. even assume it had been a cps prosecution mm-hmm. the cps would have said to the post office well everybody's running this defense there's mm-hmm. something wrong with the computer the cps would have asked the post office and the post office said here's as mm-hmm. nicholas has said mr jenkins from fujitsu who says all absolutely fine never tells us lies always right that's right and the cps would have accepted that of course they would i don't think 
think the private nature of it, except that I suspect that there isn't very good training of those who are investigating and so on. Whereas when you've got a policing system with um, people who are at least are trained, and when the CPS is training its prosecutors, you'd expect different standards. And I think that there might be but something it, in that. Can I, can I go back to Charlie's point? If this had been scrutinised by the CPS, surely the CPS would have said, do we have any other evidence at all of dishonesty? Do we have, for example evidence that people are going on expensive holidays, buying smart cars, even oh. talking to friends about what they've done. There was no evidence at all apart from the computer. I record. know, but yeah, but I mean, just now with the system in the state that it's in and has been in for a long time, they haven't got time to go off and sort of start burrowing into people's uh, lifestyles and sending people out to see if they've bought themselves a Mercedes. You know, I mean, they just, they, don't, they, don't, okay. they haven't got the ability to do that. So if you're a big organisation like the post office yeah. or like the West Yorkshire police in terms of the Hillsborough case, as long as you keep the lie going for long enough, you'll get away with it. Absolutely. We introduced the Crown Prosecution Service in the mid-80s, or the state did, in order to get around the problem of the police and the prosecutors being too close. But what you're saying, and I rather agree with this, is if the institution is big enough and bold enough and generally ruthless enough, they can get away with exactly get, what was Absolutely. Going and people believe them. MPs believed it. When people came and made complaints to them, they then would inquire from the post office and the post office would, would assert very confidently and in those voices that come from robust. authority. It was robust. Yeah, robust. That was, that was and the they, would also, they would also make you feel slightly, you're a bit of a child to be yes, on behalf of all these semi-criminal sub-postmasters. Yeah, of which course. Is it, was, it was believing the worst of people rather than thinking, is there something wrong? There's, it was a, this disguising of the fact because of this business of saying to people, well, you're the only person that's complaining about the system, about the computer. You're the only person having problems, was what was being said to people. It was only later that one started seeing that there was a pattern and that there were rather a lot yeah, of these cases yeah. and that the basis on which uh, people were saying, I'm being falsely accused, was that they didn't trust the computer. Yeah. It was only after that pattern that it must have been known, it must have been obvious to the post office that, you know, if you've got 700 cases of across the country and every one of the people are saying but I was fine until the computer exactly and, and all these sub postmasters talking to each other and they're not all dishonest they're suddenly discovering they're all having the same problem it does remind me a bit of the Lucy Letby thing where despite the Who's fact Lucy, Lucy, Lucy Letby was the nurse the nurse oh, who murdered gosh. the babies yeah, yeah. and she got away with it despite the fact that people continually said look this is so odd I'm not sure I trust her and then the bureaucracy at the thing said if you're not prepared to say it's definitely her, she's staying on the rotor. And the bureaucracy ends up much, much stronger than, as it were, what your ears are telling you and there, and there about a, what is the problem. And it was the doctors that were saying there's yes, something exactly, wrong exactly. here. And it becomes a sort of collective conviction in the correctness of the system, even though... No, no, yeah. it's not a collective. It's that the, somehow the system is stronger than the sensible voices saying there's yeah, something well, wrong here. That's a better way of putting it. And, yes. and, and how did the post office get away with it for so long? We know that Mr Justice Fraser's judgments are in And we were very lucky. There was a judge who was standing no-nonsense. Yes. He's a Mr. No-Nonsense, and he's a, a very fine mind. And he also understood, he's got a bit of a technical background. Yes. Because I had a, a look at his background. I actually met him recently at something, and I thought he was a very impressive man. He's gone to head up the Law Commission, and is you know is now going to be in the Court of Appeal. But he was standing no-nonsense, and was very rigorous in the way that he handled the case. And I do think, we didn't see necessarily quite that judging previously, 
I mean, I, I thought that the case of uh, Lee Castleton, who was one of the sub-postmasters, who was basically bankrupted, and he did bring a case, but he wasn't represented, and he brought this case against the post office, and he was found against, and ended up, you know, his life's been ruined. Yeah. Um, Can I just say, that was in 2019, the yeah. two, two monumental judgments of Mr Justice Fraser, mm. and he sent a report to the DPP. Uh-huh. And that was five years ago. Yeah. Why has nothing happened until this television programme? Well, you tell me. Why well, has nothing happened? I'm asking happened? you. You used to be at the heart of government. Well, it, the question of whether or not you bring in a prosecution for perjury is a matter that's independent. Nothing to do with government. Nothing to do with government. It's a matter that's going to be dealt with well, by the prosecutor. Why, why do you think that it's... T- well, I think that, the, I think that the, the, the prosecution system and the DPP are absolutely crippled by the backlog of cases and things that they've got to deal with because our system is malfunctioning at the moment and because it has been, you know, there was disinvestment. But uh, it's more than that, I think. Judges quite frequently refer people for perjury in civil disputes. Mm-hmm. What I've done that. What Mr. Justice Fraser was doing was saying that Mr. Jenkins and others had perjured themselves in criminal trials. But it would come from the same source, which is the civil judge sending to the DPP, somebody's perjured themselves. And that would be a very low priority for all the reasons that Helena has said in relation to it. The other aspect of it, and you're right to hold us before we go on to the exoneration bill, is Miss Justice Fraser described the post office's conduct that litigation as, quote, attritional. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they made applications for discovery. They really, everything they could to make it as difficult as he, possible. He found, he found that senior members of the post office, like Mrs. Van den Bugar, gave false evidence to him. Yes, yeah, and he found that. But, the, but, the, but nothing's the, happened about that but either. The, but the mm-hmm. strategy throughout has been so aggressive. That was had to have been a policy decision taken at a higher level mm-hmm. to go after people with absolute this intensity and to really give no clout at all to mm-hmm. the other side. I think that, for example, in the Mr. Castleton's case, I feel that unfair advantage was taken of him. I don't think he was protected well enough. What can the judge do in an individual case? Where somebody's not represented. Yeah. I mean, I, I just feel that... He uh, said to the post oh, office, could hold you produce... On. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you have to, as a judge in those cases, uh, Nick, you're the man who knows... You have to be, when someone's not represented, be asking some of the questions that you, you would do. expect them you to be asking. Have a, you and have I wonder a, whether you that have a duty done. to, whilst at the same time not sending into the arena, you have to nonetheless help unrepresented litigant in a way that you wouldn't help a represented litigant. But not one until Fraser, and that was a different sort of mm. framework, not one judge no. effectively said, let's really no. go into. And that no. would be because you would think as a judge that's not the role of the judge. Indeed. Because you're not an inquisitor, you're, an, you're standing between the two. Yes. What about, there were lots of places, I think there were lots of questions still to be answered about, for example, I think that the contracts that were drawn up at the very beginning with the, and so on facilitated bad faith conduct mm. towards mm. the, the, the sub-postmasters, I think. Because that whole business, which is you're going to have to repay anything if there's a shortness well, yes. and so on, allowed for those interrogators. And I wonder, I'd love to know about the background of those who were the investigators. Were yeah. they ex-police officers or were they ever trained? Because the, the way in which they treated people was really disgraceful. Yeah. You saw that film, the um, clip from... Oh. Shocking. And was there a financial incentive to get to, as many convictions as possible? I'd be very interested but, but, to know. And basically, I think those contracts, who drew them up and advised on those contracts? Who were the lawyers that were involved in that? There are a lot of questions around the lawyer. you about the contract between Fujitsu and the post office? Yes, yes. It no, means the contract same. between the post office and the sub-post office. Well, that's what, the, that's what the first bit of Fraser was about. That's the first judgment and is about. Fraser is saying, effectively, it's a relational contract, which means you owe a duty, duty to look after the post 
Toastmasters. And not a, pursue them until you have been satisfied that the debt is genuine. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Which who, they broke by but, knowing all this material and not doing, yeah, and not doing anything and about we, it. And we have to know who were responsible for the non-disclosure failures. Who made the decision, you're not giving that, we're not going to give that. The logbooks existed, which showed yeah, the did. flaws in the system. They did. Who said, in no circumstances, hand those logbooks over? Who Somebody did? made that who decision. Did? And whoever did that bears a responsibility. Mm. And I'd like to well, one see... Of the things that we're going to and talk they're about, guilty of the conspiracy. But we we're, going to, we're going to talk about remedies for the uh, victims in a minute but and I the exoneration will... bill. But, but I, I also, before we move off, Mr. Justice Fraser, I just want you, your comments, you two, about the extraordinary application to try and get Mr. Justice Fraser thrown off the case. I mean, that is one of the shocking things. I, let me tell you that I have, on occasion as myself, I had to do this twice, I think, only in my whole professional life. But I remember having to go to St. Albans Court and being instructed to say to a judge who was notoriously, you know, absolutely a, me a menace and terrifying and I had to ask him to recuse himself and everybody came into the court to watch this as I was eaten alive <laughs> I was I was about I was about 24 you know and I had to ask him to recuse himself because he had said to my client on a previous occasion when he came before him when you next come before me I can assure you your feet will not touch your ground before you go to jail you know but that, and it's a rare it's a like rare thing if you don't keep yes, yes yeah, right. exactly, yeah. but to recuse was a rare and sort of wild thing to do do. But it was done here with seriousness against a serious judge who was conducting this case with rigor. And they went after him in the most vicious way. And they got the advice of very distinguished legal personages. And they got really, the Lord Newberger to advise them. Well, also, I think... And he um, said I, they I were reasonable it, grounds. And wasn't, wasn't Lord Gravener somehow involved? Well, he, he, was, made, he, he, he made, made the, the application. So yeah. he's, expect, he's expected to be a gladiator, but Lord Newberger's role in this was to be some kind of independent advisor. But, I mean, by then, the courts had seen off the post office because... Fraser says no, yeah. and then Lord Justice Coulson, who is a senior <laughs> member of the Court of Appeal, says this was absurd, absurd. without basis. It was an intimidatory thing to do it to was Fraser. Terrible. But the courts by then, only because Fraser had, as it were, shone a light in a dark place, were the Court of Appeal willing to say, we're not even going to give it permission to it appeal. By then, it was a desperate twitch of, a, of an organisation that had been rumbled, and the courts were strong enough to see it off. Maybe it should never be made, but people make applications that don't succeed, no doubt, like but your applications. But it was a sort of scorched earth policy. You know, they, they were lashing out in all directions. What was happening was they were suppressing their own wrongdoing. They, were, they didn't want it to come in, you know, to be thoroughly exposed. I'm afraid that well, there has to be now real exposure of the roles that everybody played in this terrible, terrible, grievous miscarriage of justice. I've done miscarriage of justice cases. I did the Guildford Four. I represented a woman woman called Mary Druhan, who had spent 11 years in prison for something she didn't do. These things are so destroying of human lives, honestly. Well, the police have begun an inquiry about perversion of the course of justice, fraud and perjury, but they mm. say they will not have completed their inquiry before 2026. Mm. So it's going to go on and on. Always the attempts to get people to pay for what happened leave the victims disappointed. So Hillsborough is a classic yes. example where they were treated absolutely appallingly. They were the victim of a terrible conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. And the legal system was basically sympathetic to the police officer who messed it up on the day, the police officers who helped the cover-up, and nobody was ultimately convicted of anything. That left 
the victims who had felt that the system did eventually turn in their favour, it let them down again. One's feeling about the post office, Paula Venels, she's the name most in the frame in relation to it. There will have to be an investigation about what she knew, but suppose her defence was, I was told by reputable people, as I would see it, that there was no problem with the computer and I believed it. Does that give her a defence from a conspiracy to pervert the course of justice? I assume it I would do. Helena would know. Well, I, yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's always very difficult to get to people who are at the very top yeah. because that's what they say, is yeah. that I was only, you know, and, and, there is, and there is that thing, which is that old story, which is, is given, which is, you know, that um, sometimes people at the top or people on boards are like mushrooms, you know, you just keep them in the dark and, exactly. Uh, exactly. and feed them manure. <laughs> and uh, let's put it that way. And so, I mean, all I can tell you is that sometimes you have to be sceptical about that because, you know, if you are a decent, smart chair of an organisation, you're asking questions too. It becomes something, one has to be sceptical about people saying, I didn't know when they're in those serious, serious senior positions earning tonnes of money. Mm. Um, well, it's a very good article in Private Eye, I keep citing Private Eye, but they definitely deserve a big shout out, is that Private Eye have pointed out that getting any kind of conviction against these top dogs is going to be very difficult because of this legal concept of the directing mind. But isn't that oh, yeah. isn't that the, that's the corporation? That's yeah. not that's, that's not the, the individual. Yeah. If somebody at the top of the post office knew that there was a problem with the Horizon system and said, "Let's suppress the material," they would be guilty of a crime, they would. perverting the course yeah. of justice. It's the old issue it, of mens rea. I mean, you know, with the act, the mind has to go with what what has gone on. What did people know at the time? I think that you can look at this carefully, but I think and an awful lot of those people who are saying that they didn't know, did know. The thing that will really make the difference, as far as people are concerned, is if people on the board are in danger of themselves going to prison if something goes wrong like this. And the question is, should you put them under an obligation to make proper inquiries before they allow these sorts of things to happen? I mean, everybody was raising this question, although nobody was really sort of pursuing it. So she, the chief executive, would have known that there was a very big question mark about the reliability of the system. Is it enough just to be told by the computer department, oh, it's fine? And then leave it at that. Because if only if she felt at threat, would there be a proper intervention from the top, it seems to me. You'll remember that the organisation that's supposed to deal with miscarriages of justice. The uh, CCRC. The CCRC. The CCRC stands stands for the Criminal Cases Review Commission. Correct. And let me tell you, it's hopeless. I mean, I I, 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 I really feel that, um, and I mean no discredit to the individuals that are involved, I'm sure that they're labouring with difficulties, but it really isn't doing its job and partly it's deeply underfunded. It doesn't have a resource. It doesn't have enough people to invest investigate some of these cases and of course lots of people go to prison and say I'm not guilty and want them to review their cases the court of appeal having said there is no case but sometimes in there there are really serious miscarriages of justice the man who was recently came out of prison blinking into the light having been there for many mm. many years Andrew charged, with, charged with rape is it any wonder that the man doesn't want to live in this country anymore he wants to yes. go and live somewhere else so what, because he feels, I couldn't agree more I could, no, the CCRC is currently headed by somebody 
who is an expert in, quote, corporate governance. You want somebody no, heading want the CCRC who is determined... A determined uh, to, 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 seeker for justice. Exactly. And instead <laughs> you get somebody who who's most concerned... Managerial and... And, not, and, and doesn't want to upset the Court of Appeal by bringing cases that might be risky. This is tacitly <clears throat> agreed by the government because they wouldn't have proposed this act of oblivion and indemnity. If we go on to the question of... What do you do about the victims I think we of should all, all of this? Everybody is saying constitutionally, oh, well, of course, it'd be much better if the courts exonerated them. But if the courts exonerate them, that means the court has got to have some degree of judgment to exercise on the basis of material. These people have absolutely no faith in the justice system, and I completely share their view. Yes, I know, but you you say each case would have to, you know, the court would have to hear evidence and so on. I remember when the um, Guildford Four appeal was successful, mm. and what happened was that a solicitor, Gareth Pierce, an incredible solicitor, mm. and went off and spent hours and hours digging through cardboard boxes full of papers and papers and papers in some backwater and she found the statement that that was going to unearth this whole case which showed that there were witnesses that would put people in a different place and put Jerry Conlon in a different place from where the police claimed his confession placed him mm. laying bombs and the whole thing unraveled and when it was put before the prosecutor Roy Amlett a thoroughly decent good yeah. prosecutor he arrived at the Old Bailey we all met in the library of the Old Bailey all the counsel who were acting for the different accused who'd been in jail for 17 years and what happened was he said i am not going to fight this appeal oh yeah and we went in front of the lord chief justice and it took two minutes a good prosecutor can arrive in court and say i have gone through all of the papers in this case i am satisfied that there's no case to answer in this appeal and i concede the appeal no but the, i don't it. think i don't think you're really getting what they're saying they're saying, I don't care if it depends upon a prosecutor conceding it. Ultimately, a judge has got to come to a conclusion. Maybe the prosecutor would presumably be the, the post office. It's simple numbers, this. It's in four years, they've managed to process 100 appeals. Uh, and so we've got... It'd be terrible. Are, They'll be dead, are, of course. They're, they're, it, just, they don't have the time and resources to process all the people yeah. who've been wrongly and, and, convicted, and 700 up, of them. Yeah. Alan Moses rang me up and said, oh, why don't you just get five retired court of appeal judges to sit five days a week doing three a day. Maybe, but you won't get their postmasters to put it through. I don't agree it, with you. You see, I well, think that... Well, you may have been told that, but you see, I've been told by others that, in fact, people feel that they were taken to a court... They were convicted in a court and they really want a court to say you are not some mass rubber stamping thing that goes through they Parliament. They have welcomed that they, the exoneration they, bill. They don't no, want court. Well, I mean, Alan Bates has welcomed the exoneration bill. Well, fine, I, the I'm, danger I'm of the exoneration bill is that Boris Johnson or his like then uses the exoneration <laughs> bill as the precedent. precedent for letting Owen Patterson off if he's committed a criminal yeah, offence. And, and that's not good. But every single constitutional protection for these people failed yeah. is the only constitutional protection that's going to be effective, the one that prevents them getting exonerated. I agree, and I will. When, when it goes through the, the House, of course, I will vote for it because I want these people to be freed of the pain of all of this, not that it will free them. But I do think, I, I do think it is a, a dangerous precedent, but, and I think that we, the, we should be making it the, clear that this is not ever to be done again. The 600,000 <clears> offer is conditional upon you, proof of you being wrongly convicted because they can't yeah. wait four or five years for no. this. It just would not be fair. No, so that's yeah. why, just for expediency and pragmatism, it has to be done this way. But it has to be marked that this is completely exceptional. I agree. It hasn't happened in this country for 400 and no, years. And nor will the last it. time was in 1660. 
when there was an act of oblivion and indemnity, and now this will be the second one, and then another 400 years before the next one. But, I mean, if, if you identify... I mean, I was, I'm very interested in the, the Irish cases, where yes. the Guildford Four, the Birmingham Six, there was this sense that the judges and the prosecution were really out to get... Yeah. the particular defendants, and would do pretty well anything. And indeed, the reports that followed it indicated mm. that was indeed the case. Indeed, was it Lord Bridge in the, yes, in the Birmingham Six? Yes, and it was, was it Donaldson yeah. in the... Well, the, the, listen, I mean, I mean, we can rehearse the names and of, of a lot of people. I mean, Lord Denning had a, 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 a bad yeah. hand in it as well. Dipple. The real thing about it was that we went back into court and the really distinguished Treasury Counsel, Roy Amlot, came into court, certainly in the Guildford Four, and he said... I will not resist this appeal. I've gone through the papers and he indicated his sense of shame in reading what had happened and that there was a miscarriage of justice. And Lord Lane, our Lord Chief Justice at the time, no pussycat, let me tell you, said this appeal has to be successful. You know, it was possible to do it that way. And it mattered that the British state in its court system, its justice system, but, but was it, saying we got it wrong. Helena, almost all of the appeals that have been allowed have not been resisted by the CPS or the post office. The, the, po the, po the post, post office is the respondent. For some and then for some later ones yeah. have been for the CPS. Yeah. It's been a mixture for reasons so I don't try to understand. But in each of them, their appeals have not been resisted. Yeah. But it's still they've still taken five years to do a hundred. That's because they're all doing them one at a time, and also because yes. the, you know we know things now that uh, have become so exposed yeah. that I think that you could run through a whole set of cases reasonably quickly. But but listen, I recognise that in order to get compensation to people, and if they collectively the sub postmasters are content with legislation, then we do it. But I am left uneasy about the way in which this could be abused. They have different ways of doing it in the United States, but you can be sure that. Donald Trump will be pardoning or pardoning. Well, I mean, that's, a, that's a, I mean, that's another topic. But I'm yeah. sure if Trump becomes the president, he will presumably, mm -hmm. in every way that he can, exonerate himself. <laughs> yeah, a whole series as of a matter of interest, why do we need legislation? Because the state has the executive power to pardon. Pardon for a guilty act. All you do is pardon somebody because they've been they've been convicted, as it were, rightly convicted. But the state, in its mercy, pardons them. This is not and about a pardon. And this that is about exoneration. Satisfy anyone here? And that note. It's been a very interesting but very depressing conversation because the conclusion we've all reached is this could happen again. Yes. We can see ways to try and solve it in this case, but a big, powerful, popular brand, particularly a state brand, can do this sort of thing again. I do think that now no court is going to readily accept the idea that the computer is beyond question. Yeah. And I think that that is now sewn into our consciousness and that that will affect many cases for a long time to come, that can we really trust the technology? Yeah. And I blame the technology and not the lawyers. <laughs> and on that very, very <laughs> reassuring see you, see you. note, see you next week. See you next Thank week. You. You've been listening to Law and Disorder with Helena Kennedy, Charlie Faulkner and me, Nicholas Mostyn. The show is produced by Nick Hilton for Podder. Our theme music is by Anthony Willis. Please subscribe to get new episodes straight into your podcast app. We'd be delighted to know what you think of the podcast, so do please email us your thoughts on lawanddisorderfeedback at gmail.com. See you next week.